last 15. Respect all, fear none. Into the upper deck. Intensity is not a perfect. Oh, mercy. Five, four, three, two, one. From inside the Masson newsroom, it is the Masson All Access Podcast. Paul Mancano and Brendan Mortensen here with you in the fa- same physical space for the first time in uh, quite a while there, Brendan. Yeah, amazing. I'm, I'm honestly just happy that baseball was still a thing by the time I got down here. I was a little worried about it, you, but, uh, but we're still playing baseball. You games. almost single-handedly kind of destroyed it as It a is sport entirely my fault. Because yes. this, the day you arrived was the day that... The Marlins thing broke. I completely blame myself happened. for that situation. Yeah, no, I, I, I think most people do. Yeah, I, I think that's absolutely yeah. fair. Yeah. Um, well, uh, we got some actual baseball to talk about here we on do. this podcast, and we're going to get to it in a little bit. Of course, the Orioles playing their home opener last night against the Yankees. But before we get into that, we should discuss the thing that is on everybody's minds around the Baltimore sports area and the Baltimore area period, uh, and that is the tragic passing of Mo Gabba, uh, 14-year-old super fan, amazing, amazing kid. I, I had the chance just once to meet him. Um, I, I know there are so many others that um, you know were closer to him in the Baltimore sports uh, arena. Jeremy Kahn of 105.7 The Fan, um, you know, having the Mo Gabba show on, on that station, uh, you had, of course, Trey Mancini, uh, who was so close to him. Um, but really, everybody that he touched and everybody that he came into contact with um, really f- woke up yesterday um, feeling just, you know, a, a, a little bit uh, crestfallen and, and down. Yeah, I never had the chance to meet Mo. I wish that I had, and I'm new to the Baltimore sports scene, but... I really tried yesterday to just go through social media especially and look at the things that people were saying about Mo and it, it's so amazing the impact that this kid had and you can truly tell in just a few minutes, you know, even scrolling through Twitter, the kind of impact that Mo had on the Baltimore community as a whole and not, not even just the sports community. So it, it's truly a big loss for not only Baltimore sports but for the city of Baltimore and, and really the sports fandom of the country as well. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I mean, I was trying to put my finger on it um, in the hours after the news came out. Just, just what made him so special and what what made him so magnetizing as a as a kid. And and uh, I think it comes down to the the not just the you know the positivity, but the excitement and the the viv- vivacity, if that's a word, vivaciousness of right. that he lived life to its fullest every single day. And uh, you know, he was. Um, just such an amazing kid. Um, I, I that one time that I met him, it was the first time he had been to Camden Yards since uh, Brandon Hyde had taken over as manager, since the new regime was in place. And he met Brandon Hyde, and Hyde came over and introduced himself. And Mo, Mo said, uh, "I know you. You're the manager. I hear your voice <laughs> all the time on the post game show." Um, just such a happy go lucky kid, and to go through the kind of things that he went through. Um, the numerous bouts of cancer, um, you know, the the essentially bedridden for a, a long period of time, and to still be so positive is it's a, it's a it's a lesson for for all of us. And there are so many things that we learned from him, and that we're still learning from him. Um, and I I was uh, lucky to go to his graduation parade 
that they had around his house a couple of weeks ago now and uh, that Trey Mancini was at and everybody got in their cars. And I, I was told about it the day before by Eric Arditi and uh, you know, he, he said, oh, it's, you know, there, there's a parade, it's going by Mo's house. And I said, okay. And I, I wasn't sure what to expect. Um, and I got there to the school like uh, 15 minutes before it started. And the, the absolute number of cars in that parking lot was mind boggling. And I was thinking, is this a parade for all of the graduates? <laughs> but no, it's, it was just for Mo. And Austin Wins was there. I mean, there was Orioles PR there, Rockabaco, all of these people uh, Brittany Giroli that had been touched by him and they we all went past his house one by one and the the Ravens pep band was there it was a sight to see just uh, how many lives he had touched um, in in the short time that he was with us and I think the phrase we could all learn something from so and so gets thrown around a lot yeah and I think there really hasn't been a case that's more true to that phrase than the case with Mo Gaba. I think Everybody, whether you're a Baltimore sports fan or just a sports fan or, quite frankly, just a person, can learn something from how he lived his life. Absolutely. Um, and our you know, thoughts and prayers are absolutely with his family and uh, everybody that he touched and you know, with Trey Mancini and, and everybody um, that, that really had a special connection to him. So he will absolutely be missed. And the Orioles did a great job yesterday taking the time before the game on their home opener to acknowledge Mo and to play a really tear-jerking, heartfelt video of Mo pumping up the team that was recorded um, just a couple days before he passed and a couple days before he was added to the Orioles Hall of Fame as the second-ever uh, fan inductee, which he he um, learned the news of, of course, while he was still with us. So um, all, all really... Um, weighing heavily on our minds um, as the the Orioles get underway. But uh, we should talk about the actual baseball here as uh, the Orioles, of course, playing their home opener yesterday against the Yankees. They have the second game against the Yankees, a team that they have not prepared for um, in this very strange first week of the season. Of course, they were supposed to play the Marlins for a home and away, two games, two games. That didn't end up happening. So we are now a week in. The Orioles have played fewer games than they were expecting to. They've only played four games. They're two and two. And anytime you have that small sample size, Brendan, uh, you're going to get some weird numbers and statistics like the fact that Jose Iglesias is still hitting 500. Oh, that's not weird. That That's going to be a thing the whole year. Yeah. I mean, I mean, that, uh, yeah. I mean, Melanie Newman suggested we, we change our over-unders. We probably we'll should. To, we probably should at this yeah. point. Um, but yeah. But also, you can still learn some stuff from this small sample size. We have really gleaned some interesting stuff from this first week of the season, not just with the Orioles, but around baseball. So, Brendan, let's talk about the things that we have learned from the first week of the season. Well, in a 60-game season, you're looking at yeah, even four games that the Orioles have played. That's a big sample size in a 60-game season. It might not be in a, in a normal length, but right now we can take some things from it. And my first takeaway, we're, we're starting with a big one, the Orioles – I think are almost better than the Red Sox. See, this take almost. Look, looked better yesterday. It did. Yeah. Because the Red Sox just beat Jacob deGrom yesterday. Yeah. And I don't know if you've heard, but Jacob deGrom is, is pretty good. He is, but also, I mean, if he's on the mound, the Mets are losing. That's pretty much yeah. how it goes. I think the Orioles are almost better than the Red Sox. Have the better record right now. Baltimore sits at 2-2 two and two in Boston at 2-4. and four. The pitching rotation... 
advantage Orioles, especially with a healthy John Means. I mean, the Orioles have John Means, Alex Cobb, Wade LeBron, Wade LeBlanc, and Wojo as their top four. And then yeah. the, with the Red Sox, you've got Eovaldi, Martin Perez, Martin Perez, excuse me, Ryan Weber, Zach Godley, who came out of the bullpen last night, might okay. be your number four starter. That's advantage Orioles. Yeah, I mean, they did take two out of three from them over the weekend without having John Means right. at all. Uh, you wonder if John Means were on the mound. I'm not saying they would have won that 13-2 to two loss on opening day, but it probably would have been closer than 13-2. to two Probably. If it were Means instead of Tommy Malone. Yeah. Brendan, this is a spicy take, and uh, I think the Orioles are 2-2 two and two right now, but they very well could be 2-4 and four in two games. Very well could be. So, sure. I mean... But if it, how long do you Marlins, think this is going to last? But if you're playing the Marlins instead of the Yankees, maybe you're three and one instead of two and two, or math. I don't know. It's a spicy take. So you're it you're, is. Okay. Well, the Red Sox lineup also isn't hitting right now. JD Martinez is really the only one that's played well. Rafael Devers is hitting 200 and has a WAR of negative point four. Xander Bogarts is hitting 167 yeah. and has three hits. But again, six. Th- again, that's yes. not going to. Right now, I take the Orioles. All right. Right now, I'd take the Orioles. I like the fire. All right, yeah. my take, my first take of the first week of the season is Jose Iglesias might be the kind of hitter that the Orioles have been missing, uh, were missing last year, and now they very much could use him um, at this point. And the reason I say that is um, not to, to bang on Jonathan VR too much, but VR certainly had that 267 average last year. He hit a ton of homers. He had a bunch of stolen bases uh but Iglesias that 500 average is absolutely going to go down um obviously uh he is but if he hits close to 288 where he hit last season and if he hits around the same number of homers at least uh, at a prorated rate he had 11 last year he's just a better situational hitter than Jonathan VR was Jonathan VR was very aggressive uh struck out a bunch got himself into a lot of trouble and was just kind of easy to pitch around uh, if you knew how to pitch to him. Jose Iglesias is better, and we've seen it in the first few games, he's better at making contact, he's better at fouling off balls. You look at their two careers, when the pitcher got, gets ahead in a count against Jonathan VR, uh, VR hit 249 and had an on-base of 254, uh, uh, or rather, sorry, Jose Iglesias had an average of 249 on base of 254. Jonathan VR, when he is behind in the count, he hits 174. So he, once you get two strikes on this guy, it's pretty easy to put him away. Two strike counts with Jonathan VR in his career, 165. Two strike counts with Jose Iglesias in his career, 236. So it, it is just a better, he is able to fight off pitches, get deeper into counts, uh, and help turn that lineup, keep that lineup chugging. Uh, it, when he gets behind. And that's something that I think the Orioles really struggled with last year. They they liked having VR as a bat, but when he was out of an at-bat, he was out of it. And it would be a three-pitch at-bat. It would just not be a productive at-bat whatsoever. Even if Jose Iglesias is not getting a hit in, at, in at-bat, you can pretty much count on him to extend it to get at least several pitches in, rack up that pitch count for the pitcher, and try to get on base. Well, I'll take it a step further I don't think Jose Iglesias is just the bat that the Orioles needed. I think he's everything that the Orioles yeah, needed. Yeah, I mean, it doesn't even include his glove. Right. Yeah. That, that's my point. You look at what Jose Iglesias does defensively from his shortstop position, there's a lot of things that defensive metrics will tell you when he's 
much better in all of those metrics than the Orioles had at shortstop last season. He just makes plays that we haven't seen from an Orioles shortstop defensively in a long time. He's just a really good defensive shortstop. There's not much more to it than that. Yeah, I mean, he adds so much value on both sides. Yeah, I mean, there's there's no question he is a defensive upgrade, obviously, over Jonathan VR. So, yeah, I mean, if he if he hits around that 288 that he hit last year and has the around the same on base percentage and still is somewhat productive power wise, and he hasn't hit a homer yet, but he's hit four doubles, so he's you know he's got extra base hits as well. Um, and the situational hitting, I think, is better than Jonathan VR. So this this might be a bigger jump than we predicted before the season in terms of production from VR to Iglesias. Right. All right, next up in terms of my spicy takes, Brendan, mm. Austin Hayes will come around. And this is kind of what we've heard and, and what we expected. I mean, it, we're four games in. So far, he's hitting 143. Uh, but you look at his stat cast numbers, and they all point to him turning this around 91st percentile in expected uh, batting average 87th percentile in expected weighted on base percentage uh, and 79th percentile in expected slugging so the point is he is making great contact um, and he is the stats say that he should be producing more than he has been so far he's made several loud outs he's hit several balls to the track uh, and he's making great contact. He's not the the great thing is he really has not struck out a whole lot through these first four games, which is what you might expect from a guy who has as few plate appearances career wise as he does. So all of these things are pointing in the right direction. I think he's going to turn it around, and he's walked a couple times, which is what you could use, of course, from a leadoff hitter. And his speed is dangerous on the base paths as well. I think he's pretty solidly the leadoff hitter in this lineup. And the other thing, too, I remember going back to the first game against the Red Sox where the Orioles got blown out. Austin Hayes, in his first at-bat, I believe it was, took an outside slider and just went with it the other way. And yes, it wasn't out. It was a warning track fly ball, but it was still a really good piece of hitting. Right. That's just one of those things where if you're a second, I say second year, pretty much first year hitter in Austin Hayes, and you can take an outside slider and push it the other way with power, from the leadoff spot, that's just yeah. a really good piece of hitting, whether it's an out or not. Yeah. So that, even there, is an encouraging sign. And, and like you said, I don't think that average is going to stay as low as it has been to start the season. I agree. It's going to trend up. Brennan, what else have you learned from this first week of the season? I think it, maybe this isn't something that I've learned, but something that's been a little bit more solidified. When you think of the Orioles' rebuild pieces, you think of guys like Austin Hayes, like Adley Rutschman, like Ryan Mountcastle, D.L. Hall, all of those names. But I think there are guys who are solidly making the case that they should be in that conversation as well, namely Hans Alberto and Anthony Santander. I think those two especially, and I think you could maybe throw Rio Ruiz into that discussion as well. He's only hitting 167 on the year so far, but has two home runs. I think those three could be pieces that you look at if you're the Orioles and those are guys that you want in your future lineup I don't think you need to find a new second baseman I don't think you need to find a new left fielder I think Alberto and Santander especially have worked their way into the conversation of this Orioles rebuild I think those are pieces that you can continue to build around moving forward yeah I mean I think of of course we relate everything to the Astros because of Michael Elias's history there but I right. think of how the Astros, when they were going through their rebuild and they had Carlos Correa waiting in the minor leagues as a former number one overall pick, and they had 
uh, several top guy, Alex Bregman waiting in the minor leagues, top prospect. But there were guys there that ended up making, uh, staying from the tough years, the lean years, and making it through to the other side. You know, we've talked about that with Trey Mancini, of somebody who is there during the, these 100 game, 100 lost seasons, and making it through to the teams that eventually make the playoffs. That's a good point that some of these guys might be able to do that. You know, Jose Altuve and Dallas Keuchel were two of those guys that were on the bad teams and made it through to the other side. I don't know if all of these guys are going to make it, but I think that they at least think they have a chance. They, they're they not, you know, they're, they're all fighting for this. Right. And at this point, they've all made solid cases. Um, the one thing I would like to, I mean, Santander appears to have flipped a switch I mean right. he appears to have figured it out the guy is is made a great catch in right at Fenway Park over the over the weekend so his defense is is clearly improving uh the power is absolutely still there the average now is starting to look better and better it, it, Brandon Hyde has sung this guy's praises he sung his praises all throughout summer camp going back to spring training going back to the end of last year if this is for real Santander is going to be a good player uh, and not just a good player on a bad team, a good player. And then we're seeing flashes from Rio Ruiz, and Hanser Alberto continues to just be a, a contact bat um, that is so useful, that is not just a contact bat on a bad team, but one of the better just contact hitters in baseball. So all, all three of these guys, I think, absolutely are making that case. And when you look at the potential of Ryan Mountcastle getting called up, think about what that power bat in the middle of the lineup could do for a potential starting seven in that lineup. Austin Hayes, Jose Iglesias, Ryan Mountcastle, Renato Nunez, Rio Ruiz, Anthony Santander, Hanser Alberto. Yeah. That's a really solid top seven. And I think that's a lineup that could do some damage. I think the one big piece that's missing right now is a power bat in the middle of the lineup. And I know Ryan Mountcastle is only going to be a rookie, but his bat has been ready for a while. Yeah. It's his defense that has kept him down in the minors. So if he's able to come up and be a big contributor offensively, this is an entirely different team because you've got guys around him that can get on base. We right. talked about how good of a hitter Jose Iglesias has been. Austin Hayes, his average is going to go up. We know about Hanser Alberto. He's a hit machine. And Anthony Santander as well. Yeah, You've got guys around the power bats now that can get on base. This is a lineup that could score some runs. Yeah, and, and you know, a, a true successful rebuild takes both things. It takes having the... Uh, you know, drafting well and developing these top prospects very well. You know, that is the most important piece is making sure that an Adley Rutschman, a Grayson Rodriguez, D.L. Hall turn into the stars they're expected to be. And same with drafting and Heston Kerstad, you know, you got to hit on him. Those are the most important. But the second piece and the, the piece that is uh, they're going through right now is trying to find these gems that are cast off by other teams for whatever reason and turning them into solid contributors. Maybe not your best players, right. but you you can't have a World Series a, a com, uh, competitor. You can't have a annually competitive team without having the secondary guys to go along with your superstars. So that's what this year and last year and next year probably will be is not just – uh, waiting for Adley Rutschman, Grayson Rodriguez, Ryan Mountcastle, but also saying, all right, who are these guys that we can pick up off waivers, that we can sign uh, to a minor league contract that might turn out to be a contributing player at some point? All right, next takeaway from the first week, Brendan. My next takeaway, the Orioles 
really miss John Means. Yeah. And I think John Means and tonight. Alex Cobb could be a really good one-two punch. That's my takeaway. If, if Alex Cobb is healthy and he's pitching well, I, I know a 1.69 ERA is probably not going to stick throughout the entire season. But if he can keep his ERA in the mid-threes, that's a really good one-two punch with John Means. And it's a much different pitching rotation with John Means back in it. He comes back tonight against the Yankees, which is going to be a very tough test. But I think if you have that one-two punch, could be really good things going forward. Yeah, I mean, that was about as encouraging a start from Alex Cobb that anyone could have hoped for in his uh, first start of the season against the Red Sox. He gave up one run in five and a third innings. Looked really good. Uh, his his off-speed stuff looked great. He was hitting the lower to mid-90s. Again, always going to be a concern is, is his health. But absolutely, I mean, if, if, if he can get through this sprint of a season and just pitch like he did against the Red Sox somewhere like that in the first, uh, you know, in these 60 games, yeah, I mean, he, he again, it, it's always been there. The talent that he commanded a, a huge contract last offseason for a reason. He got paid that money for a reason. Um, it was because the talent is there and has always been there. So absolutely, I think. Uh, my next take, Brendan. The Orioles will be better in 2020 at drawing walks and will also be better at not issuing walks. Last year, that was one of the biggest issues in their pitching staff. In their bullpen in particular was the free passes that they gave to guys. Uh, they allowed the they gave up the 11th most walks. They allowed the 11th most, I don't know how you say that. They walked English guys is hard. At, yeah. Uh, they at, walked guys a lot. A lot. Um, and at the same time, they weren't doing that at the plate. They had a bunch of aggressive young hitters swinging freely. Already mentioned Jonathan VR. He was just one of them. And they drew just the 25th most walks uh, at the plate. This year, so far, and it's tough because some teams have played more games than others, but they are walking about three guys per game, uh, and they are walking at a rate of almost four times per game offensively. So they are already, whereas last year they walked uh, at the plate, they walked fewer than three times, and they walked uh, at least three and a half games. Their pitchers walked at least three and a half guys per game. All to say, they will be better, I think, at not issuing walks, and they will be better at drawing walks. And that's something that Brandon Hyde emphasized last year. And if they can improve on that spot, not just is that a good sign for their hitters, but I think it's a good sign for the coaching staff and Brandon Hyde. That's something that they have tried to instill in an offseason, in a spring training, in a summer camp – that they can actually improve on, that is a good sign for this to say that these guys who are in charge of developing these guys are in the right place. They know what they're doing. And we've talked about, too, the potential of taking these gems, finding these gems that really no other team wanted. The basic fundamentals of not walking guys and trying to draw more walks, that turns an average player just a little bit better, just doing those small things. And if you can find more of those guys, if you can take a guy like Anthony Santander and all of a sudden he's drawing more walks per game, he's just becoming a better and better player. And that's what you need. We, we touched on it before, but if you're finding these guys this season that are going to potentially be with this team moving forward, they need to do those little things so they can be those good contributing players. And that's my next takeaway there is that nothing this season is really going to make sense. Yeah. But... I think the goal remains the same 
as it did last year, like you mentioned. The goal is to find these guys that could potentially be a part of the rebuild going forward and could be we could see in the Orioles starting lineup in 2023. Yeah, I, mean, I think no matter what happens this season, it's going to be wacky. It's going to be weird. It's really not going to make any sense, but the goal should remain the same. Yeah, I mean, that's that's my last takeaway. What, what we have learned from this first season is last week we did over-unders and season predictions. Those are complete garbanzo beans. Those are those They're are garbage. horrible. And, but also because literally within hours of us recording that and posting that, uh, they ended up changing the rules of the postseason, right? And adding an extra team in every division. That they that was so crazy. The fact that the season oh, yeah, started in like three hours, and they were like, "Hey, by the way, we're gonna add in like ten more postseason yeah. teams." Yeah, and uh, I mean, so we did pre- predict season uh, uh, division winners, but we did the second best team in every division is now going to make the playoffs. So. Right, uh, and also our over unders. Um, I don't know if the Orioles are going to play 60 games, given that they lost the past two games. I don't know if games. anybody's going to play 60 games. So if games. they play 52 games, I don't know if those over-unders are going to hold. At, uh, but then what do, you, what do you do with standings? If a team plays like 52 games it's, and another play, do you just go winning percentage? You gotta, uh, uh, that's what we've heard from reports is that they will go winning percentage. But, I mean, at some point, this like that's crazy. not going to matter, obviously, for the Marlins because they're not going to make the playoffs. But... It could matter for a team right in the middle. It could matter right. if, you know, the Yankees uh, missed some games. You know, it could matter for them if they, they're going to make the playoffs, but what if they have to make it as a wild card because they missed some games and they, right. their record isn't as good as the Rays or, you know. So I think that there are this it, it, there are going to be so many, and we are just in the first week of the season. We've already hit so many speed bumps at this I, point. I came down to Baltimore and everything just, just went I off the I would prefer if you went back to Albany. Bro. I probably should. Uh, yeah, this is this is going to be interesting, but the Orioles are back uh, tonight at Oreo Park at Camden Yards, playing the Yankees, sending their best pitcher to the mound, hoping to snap this, what now, 18 game win streak by the Yankees against the Orioles, because they won, what, 17 straight last year, and then last night they lost one, so 18 straight. Yeah, that that's a lot of straight games. The yeah. Yankees are are really good. They are. Their no, lineup I, Their lineup is fantastic, and John Means did not have a lot of success against the Yankees last year. I think he had an ERA of over eight, I want to say, which isn't great. So it, it's going to be another tough challenge, but again, I think the goal is just you're trying to find those guys who are going to have, maybe somebody has a big game, and maybe right. they start trending in the right direction, and you're not expecting the Orioles to take two out of three from the Yankees. No, not by But you're right. expecting and hoping for some of these guys to just get in good at-bats. I mean, heck, Dwight Smith Jr. hit a two-run home run off of Garrett Cole yesterday. That's awesome. Yeah. And that's that's what you're looking for. Yeah. Heck. Heck. <laughs> well, we talked about the Yankees with Brett Hollander, who is Orioles broadcaster, and he was on O's Extra yesterday. He's going to be calling the games over the weekend. Brett Hollander joining the Mass and All Access podcast. Here he is. And we're joined on the Mass and All Access podcast by Brett Hollander, Orioles broadcaster, Wears many hats, jack of all trades, if you will, uh, who was on the O's Extra pregame show last night. Going to be doing radio this week. Of course, hosts a podcast for the Orioles. Brett, you do it all. Thanks so much for hopping on our podcast. Thanks for having me, Paul. So let's start off uh, uh, with kind of the overarching news going into last night's game. Uh, You had the opening day ceremonies, of course, but uh, it was all twinged with just a little bit of sadness because of uh, the passing of young Mo Gabba, super fan, 
And the Orioles and all of Baltimore really lost a, a great one in Mo Gabin. And you voiced that uh, that little piece that the Orioles did recognizing Mo. Just feels like uh, you know everybody woke up yesterday with heavy hearts. Yeah, it's hard to find someone, Paul, who's transcended uh, sports. Both the teams in our town, uh, both the professional athletes and the fans, I would say equally and universally. And that's just rare. I only really knew Mo from afar. Uh, in my time in Baltimore radio, uh, he was someone who'd come on every now and then, but obviously going on 105.7, the fan a lot, especially with Jeremy Cunn and Scott Garceau, and he became this huge celebrity. But the way uh, the Orioles and really both teams embraced him and, and the players on these teams, I mean, and, and, you know, we have a lot of fake celebrity in our society nowadays, Paul, but the genuine feelings you saw from a lot of these professional athletes, very famous people, uh, was so sincere. And it was uh, really a bittersweet day yesterday at the ballpark. What a job by the Orioles uh, honoring Mo. And really before he passed, uh, saying that he was going to be elected to the Orioles Hall of Fame and the jersey in the dugout yesterday. And and really, he was an inspirational young man. Absolutely. Well said. And then you get into the opening day ceremonies, of course, Unlike any we've ever seen at Oriole Park at Camden Yards, without the orange carpet going down center field, without the fans cheering people on, without the orange balloons, but it it, it did feel like it had some kind of opening day atmosphere, uh, even though it didn't have all the usual pomp and circumstance of an opening day. Yeah, again, I'll, I'll classify it as bittersweet. So great to see baseball at the ballpark again. Uh, Orioles and Yankees, and I was thinking about this yesterday, that in our lives right now, looking for some semblance of normalcy and routine, I emailed our friends at Stats Inc. How many times have the Orioles and Yankees played since 1954? I don't have it right in front of me right now, but it's over, you know, a thousand times. So in the sense that Orioles-Yankees, hot summer, July night, there's nothing more normal in Baltimore on a hot summer, July night than the Orioles facing uh, the New York Yankees. And, and that alone gives me the sense of comfort and feeling you don't want to be too comfortable with the fact that the Orioles lost again to the Yankees and Garrett Cole but there there was a sense hey that's that's the Orioles and Yankees out there and that feels just about right for a late summer night now I don't want to get used to not having any fans um, at the ballpark ever especially on opening day and not the the energy and enthusiasm and the optimism of an opening day and you know I want to see that uh Preakness infield mentality at pickles and sliders across the street and and everyone wearing orange to work and getting fired up for the game. That was my experience growing up. That's what uh, connected me so much to baseball and the hope of opening day. So that's nothing I want to get used to as far as uh, not having that energy, but just the normalcy of uh, baseball at Camden Yards felt really good. And a little bit of too much normalcy, I think you could say, was the Yankees continuing to beat the Orioles and continuing to hit home runs against the Orioles. Uh, they hit three in the first three innings against Asher Wojciechowski. Uh, they were fine through the middle innings, and then in the later innings, they tacked on some runs as well. They continue to absolutely mash home runs at Camden Yards. I think maybe the only light uh, at the end of the tunnel here would be that tonight the Orioles send their best starter to the mound in John Means, but for whatever reason, and uh, you know there probably are numerous, uh, the Yankees just continue to pummel Orioles pitching. Well, that lineup is really good. They're not totally picky on the Orioles. I mean, that is as uh, potent and deep of a powerful lineup 
as you're going to see. And it's interesting. I was looking at this yesterday. We think of the Yankees, and, and it's true that they are a you know high-priced ball club that goes out and gets star players. Uh, there's no question that's true. We saw that with Garrett Cole last night. But if you look at their position players, those are guys, I mean, they drafted Gardner, they drafted Judge, but a lot of those guys they acquired via trade, and some of them are guys that anyone could have had. The Luke Voigts of the world, the Tuckmans of the world, uh, these are guys that were readily available. Now, granted, a Glaber Torres, they were able to spin for Aroldis Chapman. Not everyone can have Aroldis Chapman. You have to have a lot of money to get Aroldis Chapman and, and then trade for him and then trade him uh, to Chicago to get Torres. But a lot of those guys, you have to give them the credit were, you know, who had heard of Mike Ford? Who had heard uh, of Luke Voigt? And granted, when you're put around Aaron Judge and Giancarlo Stanton, it's going to increase your numbers and, and your power potential and all of that. Uh, but uh, DJ LeMahieu, I mean, obviously he had a great track record, but it wasn't like DJ LeMahieu was a seven-year, $200 million agreement. So some of those are really savvy signings. I have to give him credit for that. I don't like to give him credit for that, Paul, but I have to. But there are very few easy outs in that lineup. I mean, you have Brett Gardner batting ninth last night. Uh, it's just a tough lineup to work around. I actually thought Asher threw the ball pretty well. The seven strikeouts, uh, was able to get some outs and some swings and misses. Uh, you, you have a very small margin of error. And then, honestly, go back to that first inning. You had uh, one of the more bizarre things you'll ever see in any baseball game. I don't care if it's Little League or Major League Baseball, which is the two catcher interference calls, which essentially set up that first inning. And, and honestly, there was a game there uh, for a moment or two. And then... Um, you know, the Yankees obviously were able to spread the lead a few times, but uh, that was very odd. But I actually thought Asher held his own last night. Yeah, he he wasn't terrible, all things considered. All You know, five runs allowed, but four of those earned. You mentioned the Pedro Severino catcher interferences uh, that might speak to the fact that these guys have not been playing regular season baseball in several months, and they are just a little bit rusty. And in Pedro Severino's case, maybe that that was the story, but you you did mention that the Yankees getting these guys. I, I thought of DJ LeMahieu when he was signed a couple years ago back in the offseason thinking, how did the rest of MLB let the Yankees get this guy? I mean, they, they, they are able to pick up these guys that you might not imagine otherwise. But uh, let's get into the offense because the Orioles offense over the weekend, they sputtered out of the gate, of course, in Boston on opening night. But then they put up seven runs in back-to-back games on Saturday and Sunday and they had three last night and had a, some real opportunities to have some more. Seems like Jose Iglesias is going to be a big bo- boost for that offense. Uh, Hanser Alberto, of course, is going to continue uh, to crush lefties and to crush all kinds of pitching. And even though they they did lose their two best power hitters, maybe their two best overall hitters in the offseason in Mancini, of course, and Jonathan VR, it seems like they might be able to pick up some of the slack just based on internal improvements. Yeah, well, uh, Alberto, he is just uh, someone who's going to be a thorn in the side of opposing pitchers. I mean, he finds grass in the outfield and is just a tough out, tough to strike out. And then Iglesias obviously has been hitting the cover off the ball. And, and in some ways, so is Rio Ruiz. Um, I, you know, and, and Santander might be a star. So uh, that's a pretty good force. Obviously, you can't wait to see Trey Mancini back in the lineup in the middle of that group. And although he doesn't have a lot to show for it, Paul, Austin Hayes, I think, has been uh, very good uh, hitting the ball so far. He's had two very long outs. I thought one that he just missed last night and one at Fenway, uh, which was an out, which was hit about 410. So uh, he he's going to be fine. Uh, I love the energy Austin Hayes brings to the top of that lineup. And uh, he's also walked a few times. And, and if you also think about it this way, you know, DJ Stewart, 
is getting on base a little bit. He's not crushing the ball or anything. And then Chance Sisko with the three walks the other day. So you get that at the bottom of the lineup. You turn it over to Iglesias and Alberto. Uh, you're going to have some guys on base, and, and they're going to make uh, you know life tough for the opposing pitcher. So uh, I kind of like that. It's getting some guys who are going to get on base at the bottom of the lineup. Uh, you know, listen, this is not the Yankees. They're not going to move heaven and earth with their power. Uh, but there are some tough outs in this lineup. Yeah, and I had uh, WJZ's Mark Viviano on last week, and he uh, talked a little bit about Brandon Hyde and the job that he's done, um, especially during these strange circumstances and having to keep his team together. Of course, you know, they, they have a couple days off. Now they're playing the Yankees, a team that they have not prepared for at home. In addition to all of the job requirements that come with managing a team that is in the midst of a rebuild, um, Personally, I continue to be impressed by the job that he has done, the demeanor that he brings on a, a day-in, day-out basis, the the positivity, but also the ability to teach these guys as it goes along. What have you noticed about Brandon Hyde through summer camp and through now the first week of the season? Well, I totally agree. Through very challenging circumstances, he seems to be, in no uncertain terms, uh, the on-field leader of this team. You know, I think last year, from afar, my observations were it was still a, a team and a franchise very much in transition. When you have someone managing like Buck Showalter, who obviously will have a total grip on almost everything a franchise does, that kind of transition out of that does not happen overnight, although the roster was quite different and the front office was was extremely different. So I, I just feel Brandon just seems a lot more comfortable uh, in, in what he is and, and what his position is with the organization. He seems much more comfortable in not only his own skin, but the day-to-day routine. Uh, as you know, Paul, there are so many obligations as your as the field manager. And in, in this way, in some ways, the kind of the uh, face of the organization with, with no true stars on this team, uh, there's so many obligations. And obviously, things are much more complex this year. The media obligations, uh, their fan obligations, there's front office obligations, there's scouting obligations. And, and how you manage your time and how you prepare for your games and, and how you manage these ever-expanding coaching staffs, train staffs, and, and rosters. Uh, I, I just think he just looks like a much more confident person that's much more sure of himself. And to me, he just looks like the leader of this team right now. Totally agreed. Brett, thank you so much for hopping on. You Thanks, recorded Paul. you recorded a, an Orioles podcast earlier today. Where can Orioles fans hear that podcast? Well, uh, that's our, our twice-a-week podcast, Inside the Yard. Uh, I do it with Orioles broadcaster Jeff Arnold. We talk minor leagues. We talk major leagues. We talk to coaches. Uh, we also have our old Orioles Magic, the podcast, which really goes down memory lane with a lot of great Orioles moments. That's also available wherever great podcasts are downloaded. Uh, check it out, Inside the Yard. It's a lot of fun to record. We get an insider segment, and then we usually have a special guest. So uh, we, we have Gary Kendall, uh, the Orioles' uh, longtime minor league coach and manager dropping tomorrow. He's at the Bowie site. Uh, we have Jose Flores, their base coach. Uh, and also the definitive Cole Sulzer interview. Cole, who comes on the podcast, this is called Karma, Paul, comes on the podcast and then earns his first big league save a couple days later. So how about that? There you go. I, I've said for years that Mass and All Access is a, you know, is a good luck charm for players. So there you go. I mean, that's that, that apparently inside the yard is as well. But Brett Hollander, thanks, thanks again Paul. for joining us. Thank you.